Welcome to The Meaning of the Movie, your podcast about what matters most when it comes to the film. You are about to hear a spoiler-filled podcast about the themes, the characters, and all sorts of things when it comes to La La Land. I'm joined today with my co-host, who is in the West Coast. Andrew, what's up? What's up? I am in Seattle today, and I'm going to be on the road for the next several months touring with the show that Rob and I have been deeply involved with for a long time. So uh, we're going to see how these podcast episodes go over the next uh, four months as uh, I will be podcasting over hotel internet. Uh, so uh, we think it's going to go just great. So last year when you were touring, we just stopped production. But this year, your tour is so long that kind of in the you know Moulin Rouge, Hollywood sort of way, the show must go on. So our show must go on as well. So we are podcasting from the road, or at least Andrew is, and appreciate your dedication, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, we in the in the, in the fall, I was on the road for a, a few weeks, and we sort of front loaded a bunch of episodes, and then jumped on real quick uh, once once I got back. But there's no way to front load five months of episodes, so we're gonna we're just gonna figure this thing out as I'm on the road. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about a very very important movie, which you already teased in your opening segment. So. This is February. We did the one I love already as kind of a love story. And then another love story that we're doing is La La Land, which, in my opinion, is one of the more romantic movies made in the last, you know, in the 21st century. It's one of those movies that gives me all the feels of love and romance. And so I want to talk about that in a bit. But first of all, you know, I'm kind of the book guy, I would say, in this podcast. Like, we're both movie guys, but my corner is kind of books. And then yep. your corner is kind of theater. That's not to say you don't love books and I don't love theater because I love theater. You love books. But you are the resident theater guy expert on this podcast. So what are your feelings, Andrew, about movie musicals just in general? Oh, man, I did not know you're going to hit me with this. This is not in the show notes. This is this is just coming coming off the cuff. And now I have to think about something that's super important to me. Here we go. Movie, movie musicals. So um, I think it's interesting to uh, talk about that in reference to La La Land because La La Land is in a category of its own when it comes to movie musicals. So in the last five years, I loved, loved, loved the new West Side Story. I think it's almost a perfect stage to screen adaptation. It's just flawless. The Spielberg um, West Side Story is tremendous. Um, and not a lot of people have talked about that movie. But a movie musical that a lot of people have talked about is The Greatest Showman, which I do not like. (laughs) (laughs) So I think a lot of theater like purists um, can get really sort of grumpy about Hollywood people singing and dancing in movies because there's not they're not as good as normal like Broadway people. Right. People who that's what they do for a living. The thing about La La Land is I don't think it's trying to do that. It's in this it's in its own space where it's paying homage to movie musicals in this realistic way that it doesn't matter that Ryan Gosling and and Emma Stone are not Broadway caliber singers and dancers. Um, If they were, the movie would be worse for it, in my opinion. So I'm just going to, as opposed to going on an hour-long tirade about movie musicals, which I could do, and it's not the point of this podcast, I'm just going to steer right back into La La Land. Yeah, I guess what I'd say, the reason I opened with this question, which was in the show notes... (laughs) Is I would say that um, (laughs) I would say this, that I like movie musicals sometimes and a lot of times they leave me cold. I find a lot of people when I recommend La La Land, they're just like, "Mm, I'm not in the musicals, like I'm not in movie musicals. I'm like, even if you don't like them, 
this is a gateway drug to movie musicals. This is your this is a perfect first experience. I've had many, many people who have recommended this movie to who are just not. A, they're like, I love musicals on stage. It takes me out in the mo- of it in the movies. Yeah. But this one works for me. And I would say even if you're like lukewarm on movie musicals and you've never seen this, go check out this film. So why do you think let's let's circle on that for a second then. Why do you think it is that people who do love stage musicals then are sort of left cold oftentimes by a movie musical? And they're like, eh, I'm not in the mood for that. I'll go see Wicked on stage, but I'm not in the mood to see a movie musical. What do you think the sort of the hurdle there is? There's something about stage which lends to imagination and hyper realism. And if you see Lay Miz on stage, it just is breathtaking and beautiful and the staging of it and the choreography. You can take it all in all the time. It's just stage lends itself to musicals where can't yeah. where movies are much more single shots. They're close ups. Uh, just the craft of movie making can be like, ah, when you take the greatness of movie making and what musicals are supposed to be, it can just fall flat. It can just be like, mm, I'm just not. In a theater, I expect people just walk up and start singing. In the middle of a movie, when they just start singing, it feels like, what are they doing? This takes me out of it. And so That's, those are at least the conversations that I've had with people. I actually want to talk about that for just a second, because I think that really is interesting in what you said about the idea of hyperrealism versus imagination. Um, and the stage sort of lends itself. The sort of the contract that the stage has with the audience is one where you walk in fully accepting that you are about to like be part of the imagination for a while. I took a uh, playwriting seminar several years ago and I I asked the instructor, I was like, Hey, I've done a fair bit of screenwriting, but I'm I'm just getting into playwriting. What's the main difference between a screenplay and a stage play? Like what's the, you know, what, what do you think? And when he picked up a stapler off of the desk that was next to him and he said, in a movie, this is a stapler. This can only ever be a stapler. But in a stage play, if I tell you this stapler is a baby, it's a baby. Right. <laughs> and that's the thing about, uh, yeah, on, on stages, it's called the uh, suspension of disbelief. There we go. The suspension of disbelief in the theater is like you walk in and you say like, yeah, clearly like we're in this imaginary thing and that's just a curtain and that's just like a like a chair on a box. But they just told me it was a mountain. So now it's a mountain. If you try to do that in a movie, you're like, unless you stage this on a mountain, it's not a mountain. <laughs> right. <laughs> that hurdle, I think, can be hard to get over because... When you're watching a movie, um, a lot of the time, most of the time, in, in fact, the contract you sort of have with the audience is even if it is a, like characters having an imagination moment, like in La La Land, when they're in the like star field, right? You have to see it yep. for what it is. It's actual stars. It's actual galaxies. So that hyperrealism versus versus sort of the suspension of disbelief. Um, yeah, it makes makes m- movie musicals a little bit harder. There we go. Now uh, we talked about it. Yeah, I knew. I was like, <laughs> I've got to talk about this with Andrew because he's going to want to cook on it. And so I was like, I'm just going <laughs> to spend, you know, the first 10 minutes of this episode and let you wax poetic on theater, which you do really eloquently well. But one of the thing we've talked about some as friends, but maybe not as much in this podcast, is just L.A. itself. How does this movie hit you as an L.A. movie? You've lived in L.A. some. I've lived in there a little bit. Uh, yeah. What does this movie mean to you as an L.A. movie? And even maybe where does it rank for you in like movies that capture what it feels like and means to live in L.A.? 
So um, you and I have both lived in L.A. for periods, and I saw La La Land twice before moving to L.A., um, and this is my first time when I watched this for this podcast. This is my first time watching La La Land since living in L.A., and it was a whole different experience. Um, yeah. I, I, I can confidently say when it comes to working in entertainment in L.A., to me, this is the most meaningful movie probably ever made about the LA experience I think like bar none you and I uh, like I, I'm very interested in in your list because there's a lot of movies shot in LA but as far as I mean this movie is called La La Land like it is to me you you, you pitch this from the top as a uh, as a as like a love story or like a like a, a, a romance movie I, I'm not so sure that it at its heart is a love story so much as a movie about like Los Angeles and dreams primarily. Yeah. This is my fit. Like I've talked to this, my kids about this movie. My daughter wants to go into film and production and I don't think she can understand it without actually living there. But I'm like, this movie captures what it means to live in LA so much. It may be the top of my list. And what it is, is like little details. Like the opening song of this movie, it's another day of sun. This is the crack cocaine that L.A. sells where they're like, hey, it may be miserable. There may be traffic. Cost of living may be insane, but it's another day of sun. I can't count how many times I said that to myself or other people said that to me living in L.A. You know, there's even something called June gloom, which is like, oh, yeah, we left our we've lost our precious sun. Like it means so much to us. And so just the fact of like. The juxtaposition of being stuck in traffic and you're just stuck there, but then you're also dancing and singing because you love being in L.A. And that tension is just told so well. And from the word go, I'm like, this movie gets it. It gets what it means to be in L.A. And most specifically as an artist and as a creator and even more specifically as someone who's trying to break into the entertainment industry. Right. The idea of trying to break into the entertainment industry, that honestly is what L.A. is. I, I, I think there are very few towns in the world where everyone there is ostensibly trying to do the same thing. Maybe yeah. Nashville, when it comes to music, I think maybe people who live in Nashville might, um, which I've not lived there, but have plenty of friends who, who have. Um, but like there's so much going on in New York. Right. Like there's actors, there's bankers, there's investors, there's like uh, I mean, like it's uh, that, that's all I had. I had finance and theater, but there's like a bunch of stuff going on in New York. Right. <laughs> there's television, right. there's movies, there's theater. like it's 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 everything's happening in, in New York. Um, but like L.A., like it's people like people just trying to break into the movie business like everywhere you like that's all there is. And everyone has the same dream might be a different version of the same dream. But the one thing I think about this movie that I think is a little odd is, is the fact that there's 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 a jazz musician trying to make it in L.A. I'm like, that's not the blip to do it, bro. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a great little like uh, metaphor. But what's so interesting and I think what Gosling did that's so smart, I, I saw this in the IMDb trivia, but he doesn't want to make it as a jazz musician. That's not actually his goal. His goal is to start a jazz club in L.A. Correct. And I think that's really interesting. Like e the first moment we meet him, his house is cluttered with boxes. And she's like, why are you keeping this stuff? And it's for my club one day. And yeah. so that's the core want that we meet right from the beginning. That's what he wants is right. not to be break it into the music industry. In fact, he does that, but he's not happy. 
He right. wants to own and operate a club. Almost every beat point of this movie feels like something we could camp out on for like half an hour. So we're going to have to uh, watch ourselves because we're already 15 minutes in this podcast and have only really talked about the opening scene of traffic. <laughs> Bro, I was like, I was like, I have so much to say about this movie. Uh, I'll give you my list real quick. Just my yeah, personal top five. Let's talk about L.A. movies because I know that you, you, LA you have a list. Yeah. So my number one is. This is not in order, by the way. So this is just five movies. Mm, uh, okay. And so just for say, because they all kind of hit on something different. First is Chinatown, which is not an L.A. movie in the sense of like it's about Hollywood and entertainment. But it is an L.A. movie in the sense of like we're just going to take a random place in America and we're going to say it's something and it means something and we're going to tell you what it means. And then there's all sorts of corruption to get it to mean what it means. And so that's why Chinatown. Uh, next is Barton Fink, which is... Have you ever seen Barton Fink? I've never seen Barton Fink. We I, talked about it on our, I, on our Fargo episode, but no, I've not, I've not jumped into the Barton Fink. I, I assumed you hadn't still, but uh, it is one of the best movies about writer's block and what it means to be a screenwriter in L.A. and the pressures for screenwriting and that sort of thing. And so um, absolutely fantastic. Next on my list is Sunset Boulevard, which is another writer movie, and so kind of partial to these writer stories. But it's it's an all-time classic L.A. film. Um, I think you need to have something that's pre, you know, 1960 to represent kind of the up-and-coming of L.A. And um, totally. what's so powerful about it is it is a movie about what happens to the stars who have been discarded and how those people who have been discarded can also abuse the people who are up and comers. And so it's the people who are not in the center of the sun, who've been discarded by LA and then the people who are trying to make it, who are also suffering. And so it's this great, powerful, like LA suffering movie. And if you've never seen that, like I strongly recommend it. It is fantastic. So speaking of musicals, I have not seen the original movie, but I have seen Sunset Boulevard, which was turned into a musical and put on Broadway. Um, really? Did, did you know this? I had no idea. No, okay, so it's a musical. It was an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical that I think first came out in like the 80s. Glenn Close, uh, she did a, a fairly famous performance of Sunset Boulevard on Broadway in the early 90s, and she just uh, did it again like 20 years later, in, I think 2017. And Glenn Close as this sort of washed out 1950s actress uh, who is yeah, taking advantage of a new writer and has sort of lost her mind because she just wants to be loved by the people. It was maybe the most powerful performance I've ever seen on stage. <laughs> well, and what's so powerful about that movie is she was from the silent era, and so she never mm, quite yes. made the transition to the sound era. So that's another thing about L.A. is like the eras change, and as different values happen, people just get discarded. Um, mm. And so an absolutely amazing L.A. movie. And then... Uh, next on my list is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I know you have mixed feelings about this. My <laughs> argument for this movie is one thing that's very important in L.A. is the history of movies, the history of movie stars, who came, who went, and like, and even certain ages of like how innocent they were. And this movie gets it really right. It's also really fun because it's about a stuntman and it's about a guy who's a TV star in the fifties and it has all sorts of like history lessons about LA and <laughs> the Manson family actually. Um, but it's, it's a really smart LA movie in so many ways. And then the fifth is La La Land, 
And I was going to give a special shout out to Babylon, which is uh, I can't recommend in good conscience because it's so <laughs> viscerally intense, but it's a pretty amazing like L.A. movie set in the 1920s um, with our girl Margot Robbie and, and Brad Pitt as well. So that's my list. So that's a that's a six movie list. And it's interesting of those. The only one that is not about the movie business is Chinatown, right? Like yep. the, your top five and a half. Six, you know, six m movies about Los Angeles are about the movie business, you know, um, and people trying to break in and, you know, live the dream um, in, in one way or another. Um, and so that, I think that is really telling sort of about L.A. and that any any L.A. story really at its core is somewhat wrapped, you know, wrapped up in that. OK, so we've danced around La La Land. We're deep diving into it now with the categories. So I want to jump right in. Uh, who's your most meaningful character, Andrew? You know what? I'm going to you always ask me first and I talk for like an hour and then you're like, yeah, I also have thoughts. So I'm we're, let's let's bounce this to you. Um, let's let's talk about meaningful character. You go first. What do you got? Like there is basically two characters in this movie and a bunch of little supporting characters. But like you got two choices. Who do you pick? So I was going to cheat originally when I <laughs> when I was with this and I was going to say chemistry between the two leads is my most meaningful character. Because they play off each other so magically, and this movie does not work without their chemistry. And the way that they flirt, and they irritate each other, and play off each other is so powerful. And so I just want to give a shout out to their chemistry, because I don't know if I'm going to mention it again. But for me, Mia, Emma Stone's character, she's the emotional center of this movie. She's the one who is, we're talking about, you're saying this is an L.A. movie, the humiliation of going into audition rooms and getting, you know, someone's getting a call in the middle of it, of working in a coffee shop and you can't be there. Just the brokenness. She has so many scenes over and over again where she opens herself up and she puts her heart out there and either nobody cares or it gets stepped on. And you said, I'm not sure if this is a love story as much as it is an L.A. story. Well, Emma Stone carries that. She carries the sense of like what it means to pursue your art. And th there's even this great moment where she gets completely rejected from her audition. And then she's driving and she passes by this movie theater where she remembers Ryan Gosling and her are going to go on a date. And then she like perks up in her car and it's just this great little bit of acting. And so I just think that she gives such a powerful performance and such an emotional performance in a movie that's so fun and catchy and great hip-hoppy music uh she is the emotional core of this film yeah i think that's absolutely true um she she is she has the most heartbreak um that i think is the most easy to sort of connect with maybe i mean she's she's the one that gets pushed pushed to giving up on her dream whereas Ryan Gosling is sort of pushed to compromise and or sacrifice on his dream um, in, in sort of right. the low spot. Right. They they go to different different edges of that um, uh, dark night of the soul place uh, in 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 the movie. But she but she's the one that walks away completely, which certainly feels a lot more heartbreaking. And yeah, like like you said, the there's something about acting that feels probably and probably in reality is much more vulnerable than many other things yeah like 
every time Ryan Gosling is trying to play his music in the beginning, right? Like, I believe that for a musician, right, the the jingle bells into this beautiful piece that's coming from his heart and then getting fired for it, for a musician, that is truly heartbreaking because there's something about your soul that's being poured out there, right? But I think we connect with it so much more when, like, Emma Stones are, is giving these honestly, truly great performances and these fake auditions and then just gets, like, blown off, right? Like, it, it's it's... There's something about your soul that comes out there. Well, and think about this. Moments later, she's in the elevator and she she's standing next to two people who look exactly like her. And so you're really faced with like, are you the best version of yourself? Is there literally someone who looks, speaks, you know, is a replacement for you who's like a better version of you and you're being compared to that? Right. Famous actors talk about that all the time about up and coming and sitting in audition rooms surrounded by people who look exactly like them. Right. That's like a very almost cliche, stereotypical L.A. casting room story. I don't know that I've ever heard anyone say what you just said, which is that when you're surrounded by people that look exactly like you, the thought that you're ultimately confronted with is, are you the best? Like if we're all basically the same commodity, am I the best version of that? And that sucks. Like if you're not the best version of you. Like, ugh. <laughs> that's 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 some that's awful, you know, I mean, even like even Lindsay Lohan and Emma Stone get compared to each other. And it's like, oh, Emma Stone's like the better version of Lindsay Lohan, you know, like she's the more realized, more put together one who right. the better actress who had the better career, who never fell off a cliff, you know, like even for real actors, actresses, it happens all the time. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm. I'm guilty of it constantly. And when I'll see someone in a movie, I'll be like, oh, that's kind of like the dollar store Brad Pitt. Yep. And 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 it's like it's an easy shorthand and it's kind of a funny joke. But honestly, like that's, that's actually like I might not say that anymore. I feel like I just had a ethical uh, realization on this podcast. Thanks for that, Rob. Yeah, I, th- I think it's real. I think it's there. OK, who's your most meaningful? <laughs> Um, okay, well, I mean, let's just take a moment and talk about, I guess, then Ryan, Ryan Gosling's character. Um, I think that both of these characters, right, have this dream and they find each other because of like, I think the thing that is most attractive to both of them, besides for just their general chemistry, is the fact that they both have an honest dream, whereas everyone that they're surrounded by their dream somewhat feels like commoditized or not honest, I guess. Um, which I think is another whole element of this movie that we could talk about for a super long time. But um, Ryan Gosling has this very pure version of art, but like what his what his soul is drawn to, right? You can hear him talking about it in the beginning of the movie when he's talking about jazz, and he's so excited about it. And he basically like Emma Stone's character, uh, Mia, learns to like something. Not be, She like straight up says at the beginning, like, I don't like this. I've heard enough of it, and I don't like it. I think it's weird. I'm not into it. And because of his passion for it, she doesn't just like it because he likes it. She sees what he sees in it because of his 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 passion. And so that like someone that starts off, I, I think his character is so interesting. He starts off with this very like idealistic, pure version of something. And then is when confronted by how do I do the right thing with my life in the center of the story? There's that scene where he hears the conversation that Mia's having with her mom about him and the conversation that he's having he sounds like a washed up nobody he's, he's he sounds like a right. like a crappy boyfriend based on what she's saying and she's defending him but you can hear it like if i was described that way to someone i would seriously question my life choices and he does and he starts to do the quote-unquote responsible thing 
And I like to me, that is something that being in a marriage, right? Like I have confronted constantly in in the last, you know, 10 years of my life has been like, do I do what makes me happy or do I do the responsible thing in my life that might also ultimately make me happy? Right. Like, where does happiness come from? Does it, and I think that's the movie is, is now I'm bouncing off into the meaning of the movie. But like, I think Ryan Gosling's choice of do I compromise and do something, quote unquote, responsible in, in order to have a good life with my relationship versus do I do the pure version of my dream? He might be the 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 better um, of the two characters, the, the one that really has to go through and experience that kind of decision where Emma Stone just has to experience, do I keep trying or not? Um, he has to decide right. whether or not he's he's going to compromise. And I think that's a really hard thing that a lot of us run into. Yeah, he, mid-movie, has to like kind of say, like, okay, am I going to provide for her or not? Yeah. You know, and like we've... And he's still playing music, and so you're like, oh, you know, it's all right. you made it, you're playing music, but you can see everything within him is didn't make it. I mean, the, it culminates in the scene with him the photographer coming and like, okay, bite your lower <laughs> lip and do all this. And like, um, I just want to rabbit trail for a moment and say, Ryan Gosling is so stinking funny. We talked about it in the Barbie episode. Like he just comes out and he's just <laughs> every single line delivery, every single look. It's just amazing. But watching this movie with my wife last night, I was like, it's incredible to me that maybe the funniest man in America right now is Ryan Gosling. Like he's maybe our funniest actor right now, which is, you would have never thought the kid from the notebook would become that. <laughs> yeah, for me, it was the uh, the uh, kid from Remember the Titans who was an absolute liability as a defensive end. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was just getting smoked out there. So, but but you're right. He does carry the sense in the meaning of the movie, which is every LA person who's really chasing their dreams. Some of my best friends that I've talked about this with, you've had that moment when you're sitting with drinks and you're like can i keep doing this how long can i stay here i mean i remember for me my wife was pregnant i found out she was pregnant and i was like i don't think i can provide for my family and keep chasing my dream in this way and that was really really hard and this movie yeah. dude wrecks me emotionally i watched some of it last night and some of it today and when it was over i could barely function because i was so emotionally wrecked because of these artistic wrestlings that you're talking about, which is like, yeah. okay, the person you love versus the thing you love. And I, I think that this movie for people who have lived in LA, I think is incredibly resonant because of all the tiny little things. There's like, I mean, all of the background details. And when Emma Stone is like walking on to do her one woman show, she walks by this guy who like flips on, on, on the lights in, in, in the background. And I'm like, that, that is that guy. That's the guy who flips yep. on the lights in every stage. Like he doesn't even care who's walking on the stage because it's his job and he's there eight days a week, right? Flipping on the lights for whatever Yahoo's walking on the stage. Like all of those tiny little freaking details about LA are spot on. So I think it's, it has a little special thing, but I think this movie, if you're not an artist, right? And that's not, that's not like a dig at non-artists, right? But if, if, if you're someone who, who like, that's not your thing that your like soul is not like, I want to tell stories. I want to create something meaningful. That soul of an artist. I do think this movie falls into the like, oh, it's a cute love story movie musical camp. Because I do think the soul of the want and desire of both of these characters 
is is something different for those of us who have to ask these questions constantly of, of the questions on can I keep going? Can I keep putting up with the heartbreak? Can I keep getting told no? Every actor that I've heard, even the like super famous ones, say that you have to go to 99 auditions before you get one callback. Right. Right. Like, can you imagine interviewing for your job all the time and getting told no 99 percent of the time like that? That my wife is an actress and does that. I can't imagine the level of like personal fortitude it takes to do that. I couldn't do it. Well, and even when you get told yes, it's not a yes forever. Sometimes it's like, yes, I got the cat food commercial. Yes, right. I got one line in a movie. And that's a huge deal. You know, like it's not yeah. like, OK, one yes is my dream job. It's like, OK. At least there's something that I can hold on to. And sometimes the yes isn't even a job. It's the callback. You see how excited like the how excited Emma Stone right. was for that callback is completely the moment when that happens is like, oh, my gosh, like they gave me a callback. They noticed me like I mm-hmm. mattered. And then you walk into that one and then the same thing happens. It's just like it, I, I, I can't. So for artists, I think the trauma and the, the crises of these characters um, feels incredibly personal. Um, and I, I think it's sort of not, not to say that, but I do think there's a camp of people in which this movie wrecks them and a camp of people where people go, oh, this movie's nice. And I just think it's because of like lived experience. Honestly. I'm going to, I'm going to slightly disagree with that later. And okay. so, um, <laughs> remind You're me of that, but I can't, I can't, I'm going to put a pin in that and remind me to disagree with you. Um, <laughs> Okay. I don't think you've ever said that before. Remind me to disagree with you later. All right, I will. Yeah, I will. Give me about give me about twenty minutes. I'll I'll remind you to disagree with me. Uh, I'm gonna start building my case for this disagreement with <laughs> the most meaningful scene. Okay. Um, I want to talk about one scene that's not my most meaningful scene, but like my favorite scene, real quick. Okay. Which is there was a scene. There's a scene where they're on their first date. And he's in the club and he's explaining what jazz is. And she's just like, cool. Like, that's cool. And he's like, no, it's not cool. It's so powerful and it's so meaningful. And she just like, I'm paraphrasing it, but she essentially says, that's great that it's powerful and meaningful for you. And he's like, no, it should be powerful and meaningful for you too. If you're going to be someone who I can love and respect, you have to understand how meaningful this is. And when I was watching that conversation, I was not thinking about my wife. I was actually thinking about you. And I was like, this is me and Andrew every week where I'm like talking about a movie and you're like, oh no, it's fine. And I'm like, no, Arrival is actually great. And here's why. And you must see that, you know, and like just (laughs) the hills that he's willing to die on. And the way that she's like, no, it's fine if you like it. It's just not my thing. And he's like, no, everyone must like this thing. And that sort of debate, I just resonated with so strongly of like, because that's how I feel about certain movies. I'm like, no, it's not just like, I want to like this. It's like, everyone should like this. Everyone should see how powerful and good it is. Yeah. No, I fully get that. By the way, this podcast should be renamed Rob and Andrew Occasionally Disagree About Arrival. The number of times we've brought up an arrival in every episode of this podcast is probably too many. Uh, but no, Honestly, though, that feeling, which I feel, I know I give to you constantly and I feel bad about it. I mean, I'll walk out of like a lot of the times this happens to me when I walk out of a movie and I've like been changed by it. Like something has touched me. I remember when I saw the Les Mis movie musical, I freaking loved it. It broke my heart. And everyone I talked to was like Hugh Jackman and Russell Crowe can't sing. That movie was stupid. And that was what everybody said. And I was like, 
you didn't have this wonderful, emotional, redemptive experience that I had. You're all wrong. And I would like die on the mat. And it broke my heart because I had such a good yeah. life changing experience with it. Right. That that like I wanted to, to like scream from the hilltops that you're wrong. And then like ultimately later I was like, OK, I see other people's points here. But like when you have those things like the, the matter in your life that you're super drawn to, you you want to like you want the people you love to love them, too, because it's like a part of your soul. Right. It, in a way, that sounds like an exaggeration, but I kind of don't think it is. There's something no, soul it's not. Level it's not an exaggeration for me. It's like about the, kind the, of the like, like when we watch Fargo, and you're like, mm, maybe I came to it too late. I'm like, Andrew, you've you're like wrong. Like this movie, like think about it, watch it again. You know, like that's how I like. I'm like, I'll take six hours on this podcast. Like I don't care if we drop all listeners. I'll take as long as it takes to convince you of it, because. I care about Fargo and I care about you, you know? And so those are the, <laughs> those are the type of ways that I feel. Um, yeah. Okay. So that was a meaningful scene to me, but I don't think it's the core of the meaning of the movie. Uh, the other, the other most meaningful scene. And we said, we're not going to talk about the ending yet. So besides the ending, that scene where she's like out on a date with her dude and everyone's talking and she's just not really connecting with him. And then she goes to the movie theater and the projector is on her face and she sees him. And then the shot of like their hands side by side and fingers almost touching. And then eventually their fingers interlock. It is so romantic and sexy and beautiful. And it's just like that is pure romance. And this movie is an L.A. story, but it's also it makes me fall in love. And that's what it feels like to fall in love. Like that movie theater, it made me think about my wife so much. I was like, I was like just falling in love with her. And like, that's what it feels like. Like that movie theater and that whole rest of the date, but particularly that scene where their hands almost touch and it's like, okay, are we going to break this barrier and officially announce that there's something between us? Um, And then the, you know, moments later, the projector melts down, which (laughs) I've actually been in movies where that's happened before. And so, uh, it's great. But anyway, that that was my most meaningful scene. I, I do think that that captures the two two things here. I think it, it captures romance in both definitions of the word. Um, and I love in the first scene that we really meet Ryan, Ryan Gosling when he's talking to his sister. It's interesting how they define romance kind of from the jump. They're talking about the club that he didn't get. Right. And he was like, ah, I got Shanghai. And she was like, why, why did you say it like that? Like, you got screwed out of, out of the deal, right? Like, and he's like, it's the same right. thing. What does it matter to you? And she's like, Shanghai. And she goes, when you say Shanghai, you make it sound so romantic. And he says, you say that like it's a bad thing. Like, he, he has romanticized the fact that he was, that he lost out on something. His love has created, like, a, a level of quote-unquote romance, not between two people but like there's a romantic nature to his dream there's something beautiful there so in that scene it's both romantic in the sense of two people kind of falling in love and breaking that touch barrier and all all that kind of stuff but it's framed in like old school nostalgic hollywood feel that is romantic in the sense of this heightened um artistic beauty that we see in life and so it's kind of this collision of the two definitions of the word romance i guess and i think this movie is incredibly concerned about that it has that on its mind of like life is romantic in more ways than just a quote-unquote love story yeah i mean i I agree it's there's definitely both there (laughs) 
Um, and it's definitely that backdrop that makes it powerful, that it makes it an LA story, but it is just, just on a romance level itself. It, it's so great. This is a great Valentine's day movie, I think because of <laughs> scenes like that. And so is it weird that our two <laughs> Valentine's day movies ultimately end with two people not together <laughs> that we picked for our February uh, movies? What's wrong with us? That probably tells you a lot more about us. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I probably should have just picked, you know, when Harry met Sally or I know. You know we, we, how to we lose a guy in 10 one, gay days, something like that. <laughs> one, one love story where it ends with two people happily together. Um, so let's, you got a meaningful just, scene, a meaningful scene. I do. I think the most meaningful scene to me outside of the ending, um, is the argument scene where he's making dinner for her when he comes back from the tour. Mm. Because to me, that is the most, maybe, I don't want to say the most realistic, like, couple argument between two artists that I've seen, but, like, it's close, man. Like, it is the everything they're saying to one another, right? She is mad at him for giving up on his dream. It hurts her. It literally, like, also, she's slightly less attracted to him because of it. Yep. Right. Um, you can see it during like the concert, like she's happy for him. But like the thing she loves about him is his optimism and the fact that he loves this and the fact that he's giving up on something that he loves is like. Makes him slightly unattractive to her, right? Like it's it, yeah. that's not good. Um, And so she's like trying to encourage him to like. Uh, not even encourage him, right? Like she's upset with him that he is that he is compromising and he's compromising for her. Um, like that's the whole reason he joined the band. He is, is because he heard how she was talking about him to her mom. And he's like, I've made this decision. It's, it's not what I want necessarily. I'm prioritizing you in my, no, he's not saying any of that, but that scene in which they basically get into a it, it's the, it's the beginning of the end of their relationship. And it's, and it's brought about not because anyone is necessarily making a selfish decision. It's because their dreams and their perception of the other person's dreams and their desire for the other person to pursue their dreams is suddenly at this collision point. And like, I don't think I've ever seen that played out on screen as authentically and as like poignantly as that scene plays it out. Just the way the script is written and performed is beautiful. Yeah, and it's such a real tension of like which way they should be going and like and I think it's true. It's like she is both less attractive to attracted to him and she feels guilty. She's like, Am I doing this to him? Am I am I in the way of like what he should be? You know, and like they're both asking that about each other. Basically he says that he's like doing it for her and she's like, I didn't ask you to do that. And he's like, But like you did subconsciously right. and she's like, I never actually said that, right? And like that's what I think a marriage like or even any kind of deep relationship like you have fights like that in which subtext is what's driving everything of past moments and then all of this baggage explodes and the very last line that he says is he says something incredibly mean to her and he said and she goes i i forget what he says but it's something that is coming out of him it's this resentment right and he says something incredibly mean to her and she says do you actually feel that and he goes yes and then he sees the hurt in your eyes and he's like, maybe not. 
And I've been there in which something feels so strong in you. The resentment is so strong because of all of these things. And you say something and and you're like, I believe this. And then as soon as you see the other person is hurt, you realize now that's added to the package. And you go, wait, maybe I don't actually feel that way. But you did five seconds ago. And I'm like, the everything about that scene to me is like kind of perfection. Like it's 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 a it's a really, really good scene. And and it's so powerful, too, because he's dealing with his own guilt of like, may, maybe I am an idiot. You know, maybe I'm chasing something. I'm humiliating some, myself for something that's never going to happen. And may, like, so I just resonated with that so much. And, and like, again, I saw my wife and I there, too, because she would never ask me to give up anything. She never has in our whole marriage. But I've given up things or stepped away from them or compromised on them because I because of my own insecurities or my own financial realities which is like okay i'm hitting a wall here and i can't keep going and so oh man this is part podcast part therapy um (laughs) all right let's talk about the oscars for a moment let's talk about the oscars Um, yep let's do it we purposely decided to make this moment in the middle of the podcast because you know this movie's so much more than the oscars but we got to talk about it yeah originally in the show notes i had this up towards the top so it wouldn't interrupt our normal flow but andrew you had the right call of like the headline for this movie often is like this is the only movie in academy award history that has won best picture for 30 seconds and had it taken (laughs) away and you know if you don't know the story this movie won several oscars it won best original score it won best original song it won best production design it won best director and it won best actress and so it won all these awards. And then Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway from Chinatown uh, came up on the screen. And uh, I think it was Faye Dunaway. Like Warren Beatty's like looking at the card and he's stuttering on it like this is something's off or something's wrong. And then she announces the winner as La La Land. And the whole like cast and crew get up on stage. The music's playing. Everyone's cheering. And then one of the producers, I can't remember his name now. Maybe you it, know it was, one of the producers. It was it was, it was Jason Hor- Horowitz, I believe. Oh, was it Jason Horowitz? Yeah. Uh, he stops it all and says, "No, this is wrong." Moonlight won the Academy Award, and everyone's kind of like, "What?" And then the music kicks off, and Jimmy Kimmel jumps in, and <laughs> Moonlight comes and wins the award, and La La Land gets pushed aside, um, and. It was the most shocking, like, we've talked about the slap, actually, on this podcast before. We did a live thing, and that was probably, (laughs) since then, has been the most shocking. But still, the whole night is culminating in Best Picture, and to get that wrong is insane. And it's still one of the first things, maybe the first thing people think about with this movie. Yeah, which I think is, like, somewhat, like, disappointing because of how great this movie is as we've talked about that now that is the thing that it's ultimately kind of remembered for right is that that's the and i think this happens to movies a lot and it super bugs me um last year this movie musical called dear evan hansen came out that was kind of widely panned but i thought it was an incredibly emotional poignant movie about depression and um growing up now in in the world but the entire movie was overshadowed by the fact that the guy who was playing the lead character who was supposed to be a high schooler looked like he was 30. And that's all anyone talked about. And so it became the movie with the high schooler that looked like he was 30, as opposed to a movie that was honestly pretty good. 
<laughs> yeah. that had an emotional message. And I think that's what's happened to La La Land as well, is that we're like, oh, it's that weird Oscar funny thing that happened. And it's like, no, this movie had so much to say <laughs> and like was so poignant and resonant. And like, let's not make that the headline of its legacy, even though unfortunately that kind of has become what its legacy is because it's so insane that what happened happened. <laughs> so I have a hot take, which is I think the best thing that ever happened to La La Land was not winning Best, Pi- best Picture. I don't know if this moment, this moment definitely hurt it. But I yeah. think if La La Land wins Best Picture, it's remembered much less fondly. Sometimes that's the worst thing that can happen to a movie is for yeah. it to win Best Picture, especially when it's really popular and has a lot of A-list stars or that sort of stuff. Or, I mean, we've talked about Everything Everywhere All at Once, a movie that we both loved, um, a movie that I was totally fine with winning the Best Picture. But I think it winning the Best Picture has actually hurt that movie. I think people are actually like, mm, it's a little crazy. It's a little weird. That was not the best picture, you know, and it's hurt it. You know, Shakespeare yeah. in Love is a movie that I think is really great. Um, but all it's known for now is like, it's not as good as Saving Private Ryan. And like, that's its legacy. Right. I think La La Land winning best picture would have actually hurt it. And it is good that like now it's just like, oh, <laughs> it's part of this comic weird moment. That's part of its story. But I haven't heard a lot of people like, and I'm going to a lot of different film circles and even like online groups and different things like that. And I haven't heard a lot of hate for this movie. And I think mm. partially because it didn't win best picture. That's such a good point. I mean, I think as soon as something wins best, best picture, the, the, the question goes, but is it really right? Right. And it, and if you, if you d- don't win, you don't have to, yeah, you're right. You, 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 you don't have to sort of shoulder that. We talked a lot about that on our, the slap live reaction episode where we were talking about, about Coda was like, was that, the best picture of the year question mark um great movie um and i yeah maybe maybe coda would have would be remembered a little bit more would have this sort of niche following where people would love it and it wouldn't be attached to that oscar conversation so maybe you're right that's a that's a a solid point about la la land uh for sure i i think only 25 percent of films that win best picture are five years later considered oh that was the best picture Right. I think often we get something we're like, mm, we got it wrong. It was in the moment. It was a campaign, whatever else. And then occasionally sure. there's a movie like Parasite, which everyone's still like, oh, that that really was the best picture. Um, you have any least meaningful scenes? Ooh, that's a solid, solid question. Um, I always like to find a least meaningful scene because it's kind of fun. Um, but um, I don't know that I do here. This is a two two plus hour movie two hour ten minutes and normally if a, if a movie's that long i can find something but it to me almost every moment of this is to some degree packed with something that is meant to sort of draw you into these characters romantic notions or uh m- moments of uh um uh heartbreak and i i don't i don't know that i do i do think if I'm talking about something that is least meaningful, I do think that this movie winning best song for City of Stars, when it was up against several other s- songs that were much better, um, makes me sad. <laughs> yeah, City of Stars may be the worst song in this movie, and it's not a bad right? song, but I'm like, <laughs> but I'm like, I, I mean, we bought the soundtrack, you know, like on iTunes back when you did that, and like listen to it a ton and like uh city stars i'm like ah, i'm good i'll kind of skip over it you know like yeah i i, um, I think it's to, to, to me i i if, if we're talking about like least meaningful i think i think the melody when it comes to score 
right? Here's the thing that that comes in as the score that is the underlying of their longing. To 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 me, it's and then it's becomes you know as a song that there are are, are are lyrics to, but like that motif as far as the score is concerned is like beautifully used at, in in the movie. I I don't know. Um, it's this is so back. When this movie, when I saw this movie, I posted on Facebook and I said, 20 minutes before the end, I sat in theaters and thought, is this a perfect movie? And uh, that was just because that's when I had the thought. And I remember you, you, you jumping on and you saying, like, by the by the last 20 minutes, I, I knew it was a, a perfect movie. So um, I don't know that there's anything in this movie that I, I, I would cut. I in in its first watching and in the third watching I just did now, like when you're getting near the end, you're like, this all feels great. Like, I think they nailed every moment, which is weird for me to say, but I think it's a basically a perfect movie. Yeah. I don't have a late least meaningful scene. I just have one thing to say, which is there's a lot of John legend in this movie. <laughs> too, too much John legend. <laughs> there, there's just a lot of John legend. You know, that's all I want to like, he just kind of walk. Hey, it's me, John Legend again, and like he's just kind of there, and like I'm like, oh, yep, there's John Legend, and there's okay. just a lot of him. So, so here's what I have to say about John Legend in this movie. Um, I was thinking this is maybe the first time I've I've thought this as I, I was watching it in the scene in which they're playing the big concert. Like John Legend is ostensibly the bad guy in this movie, even though everything yeah. he says is like a really solid point. Like I like he's not the villain. He's just like the other voice on Ryan Gosling's shoulder. But so John Legend wrote an absolute banger for that song they're playing at the concert. Right. That that song is great. But the role in the movie is to play a song in which we can point the camera at Emma Stone and we can watch her face say, oh, no, Ryan Gosling has given up on his dream. And like the fact that John Legend was tasked with writing an absolute banger that would ultimately be the like downfall of a character is like, what a strange homework assignment to be given. <laughs> Cause it's like a great song, <laughs> but in, in my opinion, it's the best song in the movie, but like, it's the song where you're supposed to feel like, Oh, I hate this for Sebastian. <laughs> and I'm like, what a wild <laughs> thing to write. <laughs> it's a yeah like like this is a soulless song is essentially like the purpose of that song but what, it's a great what do you song. think is the best so <laughs> what do you think is the best song in the movie you kind of you think it's that song i That's mean other than I, I ran which is just a classic <laughs> uh, um, honestly yeah i, I think it's like I, I, if you were to say what song do you want to put on and listen to absolutely that john legend song if i'm like i'm watching the movie and i'm like in the emotions of everybody, uh, maybe, um, maybe another day of sun. Maybe I mean the little the, their little like tap dancey scene. I don't even remember what the song is there, but like I really do like that scene. I think it's cute. So like I, I don't know, but as far as just the song for the song's sake, just I'm listening to it on my phone with e earbuds in. Definitely the John Legend song. I think it's awesome. <laughs> I I think probably the best song is uh, the audition song. You know. <laughs> Here's okay. The, I forget what that song is called. Here's the one who dream. Like it's just so powerful, and that's yeah. the song that won her the Oscar. Um, and it's the meaning of the movie. It's like here's to the one who here's to the ones who dream crazy as they may seem. Just like such beautiful lyrics. It's almost like a prayer. Um, yeah. Someone in the crowd is another great oh. LA song. 
that's that just like a awesome. big musical number, but it's also this prayer that like, oh, I'm going to this party, I'm going to this event because someone's going to notice me. It's just like, I'm going to meet someone, I'm networking. That sort of idea is just a big, fun musical number, but I like cringe every time I hear it because I know what it feels like to be like, oh, there's someone in the crowd who's going to notice me and change my luck and change my fortune. Totally. That that scene, just talking about little L.A. things that get right, the guy that keeps trying to talk to her at the party who's the worst, like... Everyone in L.A. has met 800 of those guys like his first line is like she's like, oh, you're a writer. And he's like, yeah, I'm really into world building. People say I'm great at that. And it's just like, oh, my gosh, (laughs) he's 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 introducing and talking his own resume, which is what people do at those parties, because like that's what you're doing. You're you're there to be a walking resume in a cocktail dress like and it's just the worst conversation, which is what that song is about. Basically, like. Maybe that'll hit tonight, but man, right? Like, Ada, like th- this, like it, there's a reason she doesn't want to go to the party. She's like, it's gonna be the worst, and it is. Hundred <laughs> percent. Can we talk about D- Damien Chazelle just for a moment? Yeah. Um, um, what did jazz do to Damien Chazelle? Like, clearly ruined his life. <sighs> Damien yeah, Chazelle he, clearly uh, has jazz trauma. I mean, I think, in my opinion, he made two of the top ten movies in the 2010s. And that's both La La Land and Whiplash. Uh, We've talked about Whiplash. That movie is (laughs) incredible. You go hear our full episode on that. But yeah, jazz (laughs) has both like um, inspired him and tormented him. Yep. But dude, his direction in this movie is so special because like you said, it is a musical that's like something more. That scene where they're dancing in the Hollywood Hills, they did all that in one take. Like the guts to do that at sunset at magic hour with, you know, two actors who are not Broadway performers and just do it all on a take. It's so gutsy and it's so incredible to watch. And it is what makes it feel like theater. Right. And and I think so many of the musical numbers are like actually really complicated oneers. And it's not because they're trying to make it a fun, complicated oneer. Like somewhere in, in, in the crowd, um, most so many like in, in the house in the beginning and then at the party is, is like they're big oneers. And it's because you they're trying to make it feel like a, like a musical. Number. Another day of sun is something incredible where you're like on top of a car and then you swing around to another car and then you're following a skateboarder through cars. And even watching it again last night, I was like, how did they stage this? This is so awesome. They've. They've got some rehearsal videos up online where they're like in a parking lot and and they're going through it with like all of those all of those actors. And, you know, because here's the thing that I think of every time I see that scene is like, what was the permit process like to close down what I estimate is probably the HOV lane, um, the HOV on ramp from probably like the 91 to the 405. I'm not exactly sure but but they shut down a section of the highway in the middle of the day in Los Angeles in order to film this scene. I'm like, what what was like, oh, my God, like that must be that the nightmarish approval process for those permits. Like, that's what I'm thinking. And I've like miss half the scene every time because I'm like, this is insane. It's funny. Once upon a time in Hollywood has all these scenes where they're driving around the 101, the 405, all these kind of iconic LA highways but there's no traffic at all and I'm always like 
in the middle of the day and I'm like, how in the world did they do this? I'm thinking about <laughs> the actual production while I'm watching it. For and sure. I'm thinking the same thing watching this. I'm like, how do they shut it? Like, you can't ever in daylight hours no. shut down traffic like that in L.A. No. It's impossible. And so um, and it's such a flex at the beginning of this movie. And I remember seeing it in the theater. I was kind of like, OK, this movie's got a lot of buzz. It's going to be a fun whatever. And after that number, I was like so blown back that I was like, all right, where are we? What is this? This is something special. And imagine your second movie as a director, right? You make Whiplash, which is just a, a small indie film. And then like your first like budgeted movie with Honest to God stars, right? Like he's he's still a, you know, this is his, I guess, blank check movie, whatever. Right. But like your opening scene, you're like, I'm going to shut down the 405. Well, the level of complexity of like staging and direction just to do this for your first time ever. And I'm just going to dream up all these scenes. I was just thinking about him and I was like, it's so freaking impressive. Like, I hope he makes I can't wait to see what he does next. I'm really curious of his next 10 years as a filmmaker. Yeah. Um, this, yeah. All right. Ho hopefully, hopefully he's not the director that like flashes and this was everything he had because this as far as like he deserved best director for sure you look at every choice not just with the acting and the writing and the and staging but like like the, the 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 camera choices and the the like everything about this movie is like locking you into the emotion of the story they're telling which is as we've previously noted delightful not delightful it's super resonant it's actually not delightful all the time super resonant incredibly emotional maybe a perfect movie he has one quote about L.A. in this screenplay, which I think is so smart as well. And uh, Ryan Gosling says, that's L.A. They worship everything and value nothing. And mm. I was like, oh, dang, <laughs> that's so savage. Um, and he might have even Gosling may have even improv that line. Um, I think in my research. So, OK, let's talk about the ending of this movie. Let's talk um, about the ending of this movie. I mean, we're only an hour in the start. podcast. Let's talk about the ending. Yeah, we probably should have started with it, but I was scared if I started here, I'd have nowhere else to go. For me, when I first saw this movie, I liked it a lot. And I was like, I can see why people like this movie. This is going to be a movie that I watch once and probably never watch again because it's just this nice, fun L.A. love story where everything kind of falls apart. And then it comes back together in a perfect way. And then they fall in love. And that's what happens. And then the ending of this movie comes. Which is so emotionally traumatic. It's more traumatic than anything in The Shining or I, I don't know. It just it totally wrecks me and destroys me because I've fallen in love with them so hard. And the reason that I would say when I said I want to disagree with you earlier and now I'm coming back to that and you're like, hey, you can't get this movie if you aren't an artist. What I would say is for me. This love story is so powerful and it works so well that when they lose it and everything falls apart and then you see them reliving the movie in an eight minute sequence where every single scene you get to re redo only it's perfect. The first time in the piano bar, he kisses her and it's perfect. The next time in the, you know, when they start dancing, it's perfect. You know, he doesn't miss the play. He's there and everyone throws flowers at her feet. It's just like, oh, this is the way the story should have gone. And then you realize it's, oh, it's just all in his head and he's just playing on the piano. I don't know, man. It, it wrecks me like few things I've ever seen in movies. And I vividly remember seeing this movie and that scene happened and then the credits rolled. 
and I couldn't even stand up. I was like, what the freaking heck was that? What just happened? Because it was such emotional trauma at the end of this film. It, for sure. So here's my question to you about the ending, right? Because the basically the crux of... If you're listening to this podcast, you haven't watched this movie. Uh, once again, I don't know what you're doing. But at the end of the movie, they both basically get their dream. Uh, Mia becomes a movie star. She does the fun Paris movie, the weird indie Paris movie. And then she becomes a movie star. And she literally becomes the, the, the star that walks into the coffee shop. And, like, you know, she, she gets everything she wanted. Um, and uh, Sebastian uh, opens up his his jazz club and it's the exact jazz club that he wanted. He has all the paraphernalia everywhere. They, they get exactly what they set out to do in the opening of the movie. But the one thing they don't get is each other. And it's like, they can get one or the other. So it's sort of, I think what the movie's posing a little bit, um, right. that, that the relationship ultimately had to be sacrificed in order for them to achieve their quote unquote real dream. Um, so after that whole fantasy sequence plays in the bar where they, they lock eyes, that whole fantasy sequence plays out. Um, and then they're back and she's sitting there with her new husband and they look at each other and they share a look. And here's my question to you, Rob, is that look one regret or is that look two a general understanding of what they meant to one another and they are content with where they are because I've watched this movie a couple times and I can't decide. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a mystery to be honest. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think um, it's the ultimate it's very, inception spinning top. Like, I don't know. It's very open-ended the performance. Like that's why I said chemistry, like the performance between both of them and the way that they look is so powerful. And I don't know. I don't know if you're supposed to think we both got what we wanted and we're happier for it. Or I don't know if they think we made the biggest mistake of our life. What do we do? Well, I guess we have to keep going the way that we went. Right. Um, you can or make is an it argument both either way. Simultaneously, are they feeling both? I like think. I think that's is what it is. It is both simultaneously. Like that's that would be my answer. But I could see an argument for either one. And I think it's yeah. worth watching the movie, not cheating and saying it's both, but picking one. Picking like we made the biggest mistake of our lives, or picking. Man, we had a great love, which got us ultimately to where we wanted to be. Right. I, I, I thought it was a regret the first time around. And then the second time I watched it, I thought it was the other. It reminded me, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Once. Um, oh, yeah. Um, which is basically about two people who fall in love for like a week, basically. And, it, and their relationship enables them to get over certain things that they need to get over and they encourage one another and then they move on separately with their lives. And it was just that once that kind of their, their love, their relationship was only meant to be for this moment in order to encourage one another and, and move on. It's sort of really interesting kind of powerful thing. And I was like, the second time I watched this movie, I was like, maybe this is just a bigger, more fancier version of once um, where they're saying that like sometimes these deep, meaningful relationships are meant to just propel you to the next stage of your of your of your life but like there's such deep sadness in that as well that i can't just accept it <laughs> you know in the shakespearean sense is this movie a comedy or a tragedy what would you say this is i think it's a tragedy 
but in the yeah, Shakespearean sense, it's definitely well in the Shakespearean uh, in the Shakespearean sense, it's a tragedy if everybody dies, and it's a comedy if everyone gets married at the end. So it's neither. Um, but if we had to pick one, I'd say it's I'd say it's a tragedy. But it's because it doesn't end yeah. in a love story, and I think the question is being posed is like that's why I sort of started with is this movie a love story or is it a movie about dreams? And like I think so many movies are like pursue your career and you'll feel empty or pursue people in a relationship and you'll feel fulfilled. And yeah, I don't think true. this movie is that heavy handed with this. There is, I feel like they both do feel fulfilled. Like I don't get the sense that she doesn't love her new husband or child in the, you know, four seconds we see them together on screen. Um, but like, it's it does feel very open ended about like there is a question. It's not cut and dry that like a movie with or a life lived with just love and no fulfillment of dreams is not maybe a, a full life either. Um, that like it does seem to be posing that you need both in your life. I don't know, man. It, it makes me ask so, so many questions about my own life. I'll tell you that. I'm just going to go straight into my monologue about meaning of the movie to like respond Let, to this. Let's go. Which is, and, and we can keep talking after, but I, I just want to give my ultimate meaning of the movie, uh, which is, I think great art and a great artist can't happen without really sacrificing something. And that sounds so precious and so trite and so cliche, but I think in both of his, you know, first two movies in whiplash and in La La Land, he makes a similar sort of argument with Whiplash. He has to kind of lose his soul and like become this other thing. And in La La Land, it's like, okay, you can have your ultimate dream, but it's going to cost you. Like essentially like LA is so demanding and it takes everything. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Like you can't have your dream career and your awesome relationship. And I think the reason you should pick one for the ending of the movie of how they feel is because I think that's what LA demands. And that's what being a great artist demands. Is it demands like, okay, are you going to stick with your relationship or are you going to stick with, with your career? And gun to your head, which one are you going to pick? I think that's what this movie asks us. And that's what makes it so powerful. As he's like behind every great career, behind Martin Scorsese, behind Steven Spielberg, behind all these other people who he's very, very aware of. He knows that like, they probably had to have one that got away to create this great art. And maybe he did as well. I'm so curious what his backstory and love story is. But I think regardless of what it is, in a bigger LA sense, or even a bigger like what it means to accomplish art sense, that's what it is. It's like, okay, do you want love or do you want success? And you have to choose. And that's what that last scene is all about. That's why it makes it so poignant. That's why it's still like to this day, wrecks me um is because that's what it wrestles with and that's what i think the meaning of the movie is i literally cannot possibly say that better that is just like the slam dunk i'm i am fully not even going to try um i think you're right um i mean that is that is the meaning of of, of this movie which is i think going back to my previous point about artists i think the choice between art between creation not just like something about saying artist feels pretentious a a career or life that is fulfilled by creating. Um, um, I think this is a question that those of us who do this have to ask all the time. And I do think that is why this movie resonates probably more with people who spend their lives in the creation process. Um, because 
I do feel like we are asked or we, we are confronted with these kind of sacrifices, maybe in a different way than um, other traditional career paths. I do think why this movie can be seen by so many people is most people who live long enough may have fallen in love and had someone get away. And if you've mm. had that happen, a lot of times it was because like not just because the relationship soured, but there's something that pulled you apart. It could have been college. It could be medical school. It could be like, you know what? I got this great job offer in, you know, Seattle that I have to go to. There's, you know, that's what love stories are is like, sure. yeah. <laughs> am I going to be pulled away? And like, I think most human beings um, have had that thing, which is like, mm, this one got away because of this. And La La Land in that sense, like not like we spent the last hour plus being precious artists who are like, oh, artists understand this in such a deep way. <laughs> but I think every human also understands sure. like what it means to be pulled away from someone who you really love and are attracted to. But for whatever reason, something else comes in the way of that and ends that relationship. And it's such a fork in the road moment because you can see the pictures. You can see the life supporting together. You can see holding that first child. You can see all of it. And you have to walk away from that. And that can be one of the deepest pains in your life and one of the things that even on your deathbed that you're still thinking about. Well, on that note, and that note was <laughs> deathbed, uh, I think we're going to wrap this podcast up. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Oh, man. I told you, dude, I, I just want to say, like, this movie, like, got, I mean, you too, I can tell, like, just got me thinking about the most deep and pressing things. And I think what I love about it is there aren't easy answers. This is what I love about art. This is what I love about wrestling with a movie is like, okay, it makes you question and ask what matters to you. And it's a mirror for me. This movie is a mirror of my own life and my own choices, my own relationship. And I have it as my second favorite movie of the 2010s. And it is cemented there after this viewing. Um, I adore this movie. And if you've never seen it, I'm sure you have. Um, but if you watched it because of the podcast, sometimes people tell me like, hey, whoever's on the list, I'll go and watch it. If you watch it for the first time because of this podcast, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it made you think all these things. And even if you didn't enjoy it, I hope this conversation helped you see why it matters. I'm like Ryan Gosling in the jazz club saying La La Land matters. And here's why. That's it. That's his episode. Thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, if you haven't like subscribed or left a review or commented, we haven't talked about that in a while, but it really does help us out um, when uh, we uh, get those. It helps the algorithm. So if you uh, are digging this and it's part of your rotation, feel free to hit the subscribe button or leave us a rating. Yep, please do. And we will see you next time on The Meaning of the Movie. Oh.